I think that this data shows us there's room to increase the reach of that equipment loan program so that more community members are able to leverage it. And I know that the association's nationwide equipment program is designed to help with just that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. At a recent concert in Germany, Pearl Jam dedicated a cover of the song I Believe in Miracles, originally courted by the Ramones, to Roland Mandel. You see, Roland had originally planned on attending the concert in 2020, but the show was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In between the time Roland purchased the tickets and the rescheduled tour date, however, he was diagnosed with ALS, which has since taken away his ability to walk. Now relying on a power wheelchair to overcome some of his mobility challenges, Roland's ability to attend the rescheduled concert was in jeopardy, as the limited seating that could accommodate his chair were sold out. But after a letter writing and social media campaign, Roland was able to catch the band from the side of the stage and got a personal shout out from frontman Eddie Vedder, who led the crowd in a chant of Roland's name. It was unbelievable, his wife told a German newspaper. He was so excited, so positive, so full of adrenaline. This stays for eternity, end quote. We can share a link in the show notes to a story where you can read more about Roland's story. But decreased mobility is a challenge faced by every person living with ALS, and helping people improve their mobility is a key to making the disease livable. Empowering people to live the lives as they want, with greater engagement and autonomy while reducing or preventing physical, emotional, and financial burdens, and to enjoy the leisure activities that enrich all of our lives. A little bit later in the show, we are going to hear from Stuart Oberman, who is leading efforts to make sure everyone living with ALS in the United States has timely access to the equipment they need to meet their mobility challenges. But first, we turn to Dr. Sarah Parvanta, director of the ALS Focus survey platform, to figure out what we know about the challenges people face when trying to access the equipment that they need. Well, Sarah, thank you as always for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Thank you for having me back. Well, I'm always excited when we have new survey data to talk about, and lo and behold, we have some. So we are talking about, I believe, the fifth batch of data from ALS Focus. Uh, and what did we learn? What did we talk about? What were we trying to figure out in this particular survey? Yes, this was the fifth survey wave of ALS Focus, which is a big deal. Yeah. And so we had several goals with this survey. Um, the broad aim was to measure the ALS community's needs when it comes to mobility equipment and living with ALS. And so we surveyed over 450 people about their access to power wheelchairs, portable ramps, and rollators. And uh, our respondents were, as always, people with ALS and ALS caregivers. So what did we learn? What did we learn about use of those assistive living technology devices? We learned a lot. And for the sake of time, I, I'll <laughs> focus on some key results. Uh, the survey had a lot of different questions, and that's why we make ALS Focus data available for free so that other people can explore those questions and kind of get to the bottom of issues that they're investigating. But in the meantime, we had three results in particular that I'm excited to share with you all. The first was uh, we asked people about their power wheelchairs and whether their wheelchairs had advanced features that help improve 
the experience of using a wheelchair and um, really indicate uh, higher quality types of wheelchairs. Most respondents in our focus sample had a wheelchair with advanced features like tilt in space, power elevating leg rests or foot platforms, and electronic seat elevation. We also wanted to know if their health insurance refused to cover any of these advanced features because these features tend to be more expensive, even though they can help improve quality of life. And so it's important to have features like this as opposed to more basic features on power wheelchairs. So we wanted to know if people could get those features covered. Very few of our respondents said that insurance refused to cover most of their advanced features, except in the case of electronic seat elevation. In that case, 46% said their insurance refused to cover that feature. Mm. And that seemed like that was a really important result. So what does that tell us? What what is the takeaway of, of that finding? Well, seat elevation in particular allows people with ALS to engage with others at eye level when they're using a power wheelchair, which could benefit those using their power wheelchairs and foster a more positive quality of life. And so if insurance is refusing to cover seat elevation, that feature may be less available to those using power wheelchairs. And so they aren't having access to that experience of engaging with the world in the way that they want. So this is um, a type of feature that we would want to increase coverage for and to advocate for that coverage uh, to make sure people have that option with their power wheelchairs. Yeah, surprising result to learn that more than half of the sample was not able to get that feature covered by their insurers. We talked a little bit about Medicare reform issues last week, and we'll be talking a little bit later about some of the ways the association is trying to you know, address issues of accessing this type of equipment. Sarah, you said there were three key findings. What's the second one you wanted to talk about today? Well, we also measured if participants thought they started using their power wheelchairs their portable ramps or their rollators at the right time, as opposed to waiting too long to Mm. access these types of devices or to learn how to use them. Most participants thought the person with ALS uh, started using the power wheelchair and portable ramp and rollator at the right time, but about 16 to 26% thought that they should have started using these devices sooner, which I think are really notable percentages. 26% is, of course, over a quarter of respondents. So the reason that this result really stood out to me is that having access to equipment and knowing how to use it before you need it could be important for preventing injuries and preventing disruptions in someone's ability to go where they want to go throughout the day. So if there's a period at which their mobility needs change, but they don't have the right equipment for managing those new mobility needs, they might end up being unable to navigate the world in the way that they want for a short amount of time or even a long amount of time. For example, if they order a power wheelchair and it takes a long time to arrive at their home. So having access to equipment at the right time or before someone needs it so they can be trained on how to use that equipment could really make a difference in someone engaging with the world again and being able to move through the world in the way that they want. Yeah, two key components to the goal of making ALS livable you touch on there, and that is the the harm prevention component and engaging in the world in the the way that you want to. So great finding there. And uh, so you mentioned three. 
we've we've got through two. What's the third finding that really stood out to you? Yes, the third key finding that we're going to focus on right now is that a notable amount of people received uh, their ramps and their rollators through the ALS Equipment Loan Program. So mm. about 24% of respondents said they received their portable ramp through the Equipment Loan Program, and 18% said they received their rollator through that program. Fewer people, around 9%, received their power wheelchairs through the program. And I think that this data shows us there's room to increase the reach of that equipment loan program so that more community members are able to leverage it. And I know that the association's nationwide equipment program is designed to help with just that. And we're going to be talking to somebody who helped build and is working to enhance that program momentarily. Great results, great findings. As always, Sarah, I heard that there is a, uh, a facelift. There's been a, some tweaks to the way that people engage with the Focus Survey Program. What can you tell us about that? Yes, we're really excited to unveil the new phase of ALS Focus. Uh, we've changed up the platform and how participants engage with that platform. This was after hearing feedback from participants and also our patient and caregiver advisory committee that advises us on every step of this survey program. So the big news is that one can still go to alsfocus.org and from there they can click into the ALS Focus survey set and uh, start to take surveys that they're eligible for. We've had participants for the last two years in ALS Focus. We have about 2,000 participants now, and all of their data was rolled over into this new platform. So there's nothing that those existing participants need to do. We wanted to make this process really easy. So existing participants and new participants can come back to ALSFocus.org and take more surveys. Great to hear. Very exciting. I know change can be scary, but um, really uh, seems well designed and, and addressing concerns, which if you think about it, is the point of focus is getting, hearing from the community that we serve, understanding what some of the challenges are and designing systems and processes and programs to address those. Yes, we want to hear from the ALS community. The whole point is to put their needs and experiences front and center and if we can have a survey platform that makes it easy to share those experiences and opinions, that's exactly what we want to do. And that's what I think we've done with this new platform. So I'm really proud of it. Well, exciting times in ALS Focus, in the fight against ALS, more broadly speaking. Um, Sarah, as we let you get back to the hard work, what, what takeaway do you want listeners to have about the current state of ALS Focus and ALS Focus going into the future? Yes, I like to think of ALS focused data as a compass that points us in the right directions for taking action. And I think that these ALS mobility survey results are some of the arrows on this compass. So from these key results, we see that advocacy for coverage of seat elevation on power wheelchairs and ensuring people have affordable equipment when they need it or ideally before they need it our key directions on this compass. And so I'm so glad that we conducted this survey and that we had so many people participate because there's a lot of value and strength in these numbers that show us these results. Dr. Sarah Parvanta, thank you as always for your time and insight. Thank you. 
As the data makes clear, far too many people are facing difficulties to access the equipment they need. And in fact, one person unable to access the mobility equipment they need is one too many. But what can be done about it? To answer that question, I turned to Stuart Oberman, Vice President of Organizational Readiness at the ALS Association, who is helping to establish a nationwide equipment loan program for people living with ALS. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what we're here to discuss, for folks listening who, who may not know you, may not have heard your story, can you start just by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your connection to ALS? Sure. Well, my name is Stuart Oberman and I live in Huntsville, Alabama. I have a long history with the ALS Association going back about 20 years. Uh, my son Eric was diagnosed with ALS in 2002 uh, when he was 21 and a student at uh, Georgia Tech. And at the time, the association did not have a presence in Alabama where we live. So my wife and I co-founded a chapter of the association to help serve patients living in our state at the same time, as well as being the primary caregivers for our son. Eric lived with the disease for over eight years, and during most of those years, he was ventilator dependent. I was serving as the Alabama chapter board chair for 10 years, and then was elected as chair of the board of representatives of the National Association. And when that term was up, I moved on to the National Board of Trustees and served for eight years before rolling off to join the home office as a staff member in early 2020. And currently I'm serving as the vice president of organizational readiness. I'm part of the operations team and we're working to help prepare the association to operate efficiently as we move into our new unified service delivery model. I'm also serving as a co-leader of the new nationwide equipment program, which is now being rolled out in five service areas across the country. Which is what we're mostly here to talk about today. But first, you know, thanks for sharing that story. You've always been so gracious in sharing that and, and um, with other people. So really appreciate you doing so for us today. You mentioned the Nationwide Equipment Loan Program. And we, we were talking to Dr. Sarah Parvanta a little bit earlier about some of the challenges that some folks face when they're trying to access some of the equipment they need. How does that track with your own experience, both as a caregiver and as someone who has been part of this fight for some time? Well, there's no doubt that durable medical equipment and assistive technology devices are critical to helping people with ALS and their caregivers to maintain the highest possible quality of life. And I personally believe that much of this equipment actually serves to extend life by reducing the physical burdens on the patients. When we were caring for Eric, uh, we had to go to many different places to obtain the necessary equipment. And since our chapter was very new at the time, we didn't have a well-developed equipment loan closet established. So while we got some basic equipment from our chapter, much of it came from various vendors and was funded both out of pocket and by insurance. It was very often a real struggle to get insurance to pay for the equipment since it's a relatively rare disease and our case managers really weren't familiar with some of the unique challenges that our patients face. Dr. Parvanta discussed that some of the advanced features on a power wheelchair, such as the vertical seat lift, are often not covered by insurance. And we had that same battle almost 20 years ago, and I believe we ended up paying for it out of pocket to get the seat lift, as well as some of the other special operator features, such as a foot-driven joystick, since he was unable to use his hands to drive his chair. One thing that we learned during our ALS journey is that with many insurance companies, 
if you like to go on case management, you can negotiate with your case manager and make your argument for why the patient requires special features. They certainly won't always approve it, but if you're using their standard reimbursement rules, you almost never gain approval for these specialized advanced features. So we found that we were able to get coverage for some items simply by working with our case manager. Stuart, you mentioned the uh, Nationwide Equipment Loan Program. What are some of the challenges faced in trying to make sure that geography, for example, you mentioned Alabama when you were going through the journey, making sure that geography isn't a barrier to access? It's a great question and something that uh, we feel very strongly that needs to be addressed. In our uh, traditional federated model, we had 34 chapters serving patients in their specific geographic territories. In each chapter, we create a program based upon their resources, uh, vendor and staff availability, and the needs of their communities. And the result of that was an extremely varied set of services and types of equipment offered from chapter to chapter. Some chapters have very well-developed and sophisticated programs that do an excellent job of meeting the equipment needs of their patient population. But unfortunately, many others have fewer resources and cannot meet all of the needs of the patients. So the system was very diverse and in some cases inequitable. For example, if you live within the service area of one chapter and need perhaps a power Hoyer lift, your chapter may not have one in the loan closet, but there could be another chapter just a few miles away across a state line that has significant inventory, including the power lift that you need. In the current model, there's no easy way for chapters to share equipment inventory or even know where all the equipment resides since you have 34 disparate programs that are all managed independently. This new nationwide equipment program uses a centralized inventory system that will identify where all of the equipment for all ALS association territories resides and make it easy for the local care services staff to locate and source equipment when it's needed. That's really great to hear. And it's a very exciting program. You, you mentioned that, you know, in some localities, um, access hasn't been a challenge. And many listeners, I'm sure, have accessed equipment loan programs at the local level. How will the new program be different from the patient perspective? People with ALS will continue to contact their local care services representatives at their chapter office or at their local ALS clinic for all their equipment needs, just as they have in the past. Another finding of the ALS focus survey that Dr. Parvanta mentioned is that roughly a quarter of those surveyed reported that they needed their equipment sooner than when it was received. This is likely a function of whether or not the local chapter had the equipment in their loan closet or perhaps how responsive their equipment vendor is to new orders. The new program seeks to reduce the time needed to source and deliver equipment regardless of geography using the new centralized inventory system I mentioned as well as creating new partnerships with local and regional vendors. Although the program is just now being launched, over the next couple of years, all of our service areas will be using this new program. And when that happens, we expect that access to this important equipment will be improved in all communities, including the time required to receive equipment, the breadth or variety of equipment available, and the consistency with which we deliver and train caregivers on the more complex equipment. Our driving principle of this program really is that it should not matter where you live to receive our best possible access to this life-extending equipment, as well as any training or services needed to begin using it. You mentioned uh, the delays in accessing the equipment and the harm that that causes. I'm struck by a guest that we had on recently who talking about delayed care being a denial of care, essentially. And so 
taking steps to try and address that, whether it's through insurance access or accessing the equipment that you need, uh, critically important. You know, Stuart, it strikes me we're, we're living in a time where, you know, logistics and centralized databases are almost taken for granted. We've all been in an Amazon-driven world uh, in, in recent years. So what is the timeline? You mentioned in a couple of years, but it strikes me it's something, is it fair to say that this will be better next month than last month, uh, better next year than last year, and, and just a continual improvement and looking to see what's working, what needs tweaked, what needs modernized because the world keeps changing. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I think it really is important you pointed out that we strive to get equipment to patients when or even before they need it. My yeah. wife, who uh, ran the Cure Services organization in our chapter for many years, used to always say, we try to anticipate your needs. We try to anticipate where the disease is going from month to month, from clinic visit to clinic visit, and hopefully provide the requisite equipment before it becomes necessary. Because to your point, if you lose a month or lose two months, the decline continues physically, and that just increases the burden on both the patient and the caregiver. So it really is important to try to stay ahead of the curve as we all know, the disease uh, progresses differently in every patient. And so you can't with 100% certainty forecast what's going to happen, what you will be needing in a month or two. But our goal is that when it becomes obvious, a quick call to the chapter office or a quick visit to the clinic, we should be able to find that equipment, get you fitted and get it delivered in a timely way. I think another important part of this program is that it's really more than just provision of DME or durable medical equipment. Much of this equipment is complex and the average layperson, you know, for example, can't always uh, implement a TOBI or an augmentative speech device. So right. the, the services that we provide through our vendor partnerships or with some of our specialized staff at the chapters is critically important to uh, be able to deliver and get the equipment uh, operational for the patient and at the time of delivery. It's a very exciting program and looking forward to all the changes as they roll out and get implemented. Um, Stuart, really, thank you for your time this week and for everything that you do for the fight. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank my guests this week, Dr. Sarah Parvanta and Stuart Oberman. If you like this episode, share it with a friend and please find time to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way for us to find even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.